within a series a few weeks ago talking about the presence of God and have felt the Lord's direction to continue and spend some time in that. And, you know, we began that series visiting with God, telling His people He wanted to have a meeting with them. And you remember that passage at the foot of Mount Sinai where a meeting is about to take place with God and His people. And there was a sense of anticipation and concern about this meeting that God had called between Himself and His people. And, you know, this morning, I don't want us to lose, and I need to be reminded of this, I don't want to lose the realities that this morning is not primarily a meeting with people. It is first and foremost a meeting with God Himself. And I wonder if we are adequately preparing ourselves for that encounter with God. I'm going to, I'm going to say some things today and Throughout this series, we'll be saying some things, and we'll probably be saying some things over and over again, because I have a concern that, that sometimes we need to hear things over and over again. I know I do. To get them to sink in and become realities and latch on to me and catch me where I live and make a difference in the way in which I think and get me out of a rut. You know, I don't know. Maybe the voice of God for some of us becomes like uh, the background noise of our children in the other room. I think sometimes my children can say dad 25 times before finally I heard them say dad once. Dad, dad, dad. And I wonder if God calls out to us, prompts us, cares for us, speaks to us, sends himself to us in a variety of ways and and we just don't hear it. And we're not in tune with the presence of God. And I wonder if this morning, did we prepare for this meeting? Or did we just drive up as though we kind of approach this meeting the same way we drive into the, to the Winn-Dixie parking lot? Just kind of going in, pick up some milk and eggs and a few things and we'll be on our way out of there. Did I drive in here today with the same sense of anticipation about that exchange? I'm, 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 that would be a concern. Is Am I here to meet with God? Is God going to speak to you this morning. Are you a little nervous to be here? I mean, if we really were, I mean, come on, if we really were going to meet with God today, I'd be a little nervous. A little anxious. Is there anticipation about today? Big event. Plans were made. Discussion was being had. We lose that sense, and I think sometimes we're losing that sense because we often don't meet with God in these places. God called these meetings holy convocations in the Old Testament. They were sacred assemblies. The word for church in the Old Testament carries that sacred assembly dynamic with it. So God had an intention that when we were together, there would be something unusual and holy about that gathering. And that can be lost. And it's most easily lost when we stop meeting with God in this place. And that won't happen for everybody today. There will be some who are going to meet with God today. But there will be some of us here today who who aren't going to meet with God. We're going to spend some time in in a religious setting. Going to visit with some friends. We'll hear some information, but we may not connect with God. 
And so I think what God wants to do in getting us into this series a little bit is, is to teach us again how to encounter Him. How to exchange with God. How to receive from Him. And I would wanted us to get to three points in this uh, next few weeks of pursuing, perceiving, and receiving the presence of God. And as I started to study that and... Um, actually had taken the week off, so I really wasn't planning on preaching this week. And I talked to Peter a little bit about some thoughts. And he and I said, well, we'll just pray and see what the Lord directs us in, how to handle the Word this morning. And so I ended up just having a sense that I should share this morning. Uh, and it wasn't even in the category that we talked about. I felt like the Lord wanted us to step back for a moment. And, and before we talk about pursuing, perceiving, and receiving the presence of God, but to discuss an awareness of the presence of God. Are we even aware of, of what do you mean when you say the presence of God? When you bring this topic up, what are you talking about? I'm not sure I'm tracking with you. And realize, you know, we come from all kinds of different backgrounds in this room, right? Uh, different denominational backgrounds, different religious settings, how we've practiced and walked out our, our Christianity. Uh, how many of you guys have Catholicism in your background? How many of you have uh, another denomination, Baptist or Methodist or Assembly of God? Uh, how many of you guys just really didn't grow up religious hardly at all? You know, uh, so you see, we're coming from different places here. So when I say presence of God, immediately that could get filled in by four or five different ideas about, well, what are we talking about in this? Now, I want to say this when we, when we look today, and I'm going to back us up and help us consider the biblical view of the presence of God. What is, what is that? And why do we need to treat it a certain way in our midst? I think uh, there is, in Christianity, I'm going to use some engineering ideas here. There are static elements of Christianity. There are dynamic elements of Christianity. Right, I mean, let me step this down from, I'm desperate to use my engineering background every once in a while. Um, let me go to basic math here. Everybody here has had algebra at some point. You didn't like it, but you had it. You remember in, in algebra there were, there were constants and there were variables. This is where the alphabet got involved in your math. Remember how you couldn't understand why A, Bs, and Cs were in math? Well, they needed something that would represent a variable, something that's not always the same. It could be this at one point. It could be this at another point. It could be different. Well, in Christianity, there are constants and there are variables. When we come to learning about certain dynamics in, in Scripture, there are constants like the work of the cross is a constant. It's, it's fully done. It's full-blown. It's, it's accomplished everything that it's set out to do. There's nothing waiting. There's no variation in it. it it's accomplished. Justification is a constant. It's fully defined. You're either justified or you're not. You know, it's not as though, well, you know, I've been saved for a number of years, but Peter's been saved longer than me and walking with God longer than me. So he's, he's more justified than I am. And that's wrong. That's unbiblical. In the Bible, you're either justified or you are not. You're either in Christ or you're in Adam. I mean, there's no variation here. There's, there's no person who has one foot in this way and one, you know, well, I'm in Christ and I'm in Adam. There's not a person who's kind of morphing into Christ and a little bit smokily on the edges still in Adam. You're either in Christ or you're in Adam. And that's just the way the Bible says it. But there are other dynamics that have variety 
to them. They have variation to them that are biblical. Let me, let me ask you this question. Is God... This is a trick question. I feel, like, I feel like Peter in this moment, so you don't have to answer because sometimes he asks questions and you'd wish you hadn't answered them after he's done. Is God always the same? Is God always the same? <laughs> yes, he is. God is always the same. Always. I'm the Lord God. I change not. God's character, God's power, who God is, is defined. He is always the same. Now, does God always act the same way? Well, no, he does not. There's variation in how God acts, how God uses the power of who he is in one setting versus another one. How God brings Himself into one situation versus another one. Now, there's variation in that. And when I walk with God, I, I need to understand there's some variation. There's a variable here. And the presence of God is a variable. It's not always the same. It's not consistently always constant the same. It has variation in it. It can be different from place to place and person to person and time frame to time frame. And so I need to be aware of that because I don't want to assume, and there are some folks who do make this assumption, and I think it's wrong, who assume that there's certain dynamics in Christianity that are always constant as well. Well, the presence of God. I mean, God is here. God is everywhere. So God is here. And and, the failure of the church is just to recognize that God is here. Okay? Let Let me throw this thought out at you, Mr. Wayne Grudem. Help us a little bit with our thought here. God is present in every part of space with His whole being. Yet, God acts differently in different places. Sometimes God is present to punish. At other times, God is present neither to punish nor to bless, but merely present to sustain or to keep the universe existing and functioning in the way He intended it to function. Yet at other times... Or in other places, God is present to bless. David says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Here, David is speaking not of God's presence to punish or merely sustain, but of God's presence to bless. So if you have a theology that says, you know, God is always the same, the presence of God is always the same, well, then you, when, when you're not experiencing the presence of God, how do you fix that? How do you even know where to begin? Or do you just accept the fact that, well, I think the presence of God in sustaining His creation is as rich as it's going to get. That's it. I mean, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere in the universe, all at the same time, which absolutely is true. But the same way that God is is present on the, in, in Tibet somewhere where there's some flowers growing on the side of a mountain that no one will ever put their foot down there? Is, is the presence of God there just like it is here this morning and that's what, we, that's what we should expect from Him as we gather together? I say absolutely not. There's variation in the presence of God. You go all the way back to Genesis. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. All the way back in the beginning, we, we get 
a revelation about this variation of the location and the activity of the presence of God. Genesis 3, verse 8. It says, And they heard, speaking of Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So as they existed in the Garden of Eden, there was a dynamic to God that though God had created everything and He was present everywhere, there were moments where Adam and Eve identified something of the presence of God that was different than the God who was present everywhere. He was active. He was manifest. He was made known in a greater way. They could actually hear Him And they knew that he was there, and they had this crazy sense that they could hide from him. That's kind of crazy, because they obviously at that point only knew of the active, manifest presence of God and forgot God's omnipresent as well. So you really can't hide from God. But yet they knew of God's presence in a different way. Genesis 4, verse 16. When sin enters into the equation of man and begins to alter how man is going to relate to the presence of God, we get informed of the impact of sin on the presence of God. Verse 16. It says, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. See, God had chosen a place where His presence would dwell. And if you look throughout the Bible, you're going to find that those places are clearly described throughout Scripture. In the Garden of Eden was, Eden was a place of God's presence. Remember when God put them out of the garden? He put, he put angels to guard the passageway back into the garden. There was a presence of God there that, that sin had tainted and polluted that dwelling place of God. And then God comes back later to His people and says, I want you to be my people. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And I want you to construct for me a tabernacle so that my presence may dwell with you. And if we follow that out, the presence of God would come and dwell in a unique way in this location that God had prescribed. And the city of Jerusalem became the holy city of God. And then we learn that that one day there's going to be a a heavenly Jerusalem and that there's a, a heavenly dwelling to the presence of God. And we get in the New Testament, we find out the temple of God has moved from the stone location to us becoming the temple of God. And the Spirit of God now, His presence dwells in us. And do you understand there's variation in that? You can't, don't, don't buy into universalist thinking that God treats everybody the same way everywhere all the time. You know, we like that idea because we're Americans. We think it's unfair that God might be doing something in you that He's not doing in that person over there. We think, well, that's not fair. You can't pull fair on God. That's, that's just not something you want to try. You never want God to be fair to you. Because we'd all get what we deserve in that moment. That's not a good deal. But God does differently in different places, in different settings. And then God says, you, you are dwellings of the Spirit. The presence of God dwells in you. And then He adds to that, you're living stones being built together. And the presence of God, when you come together, the presence of God is here in a certain way that's different than when you're at home by yourself. Encountering God all alone. It's his variation in the presence of God. 
But the presence of God, we need to be aware that there is such a thing as the presence of God. We shouldn't just accept that, well, God's everywhere all the time. So, you know, when I come in here, I experience him just like I experience him over there. And there's no difference. Well, you should expect there to be difference. And if we don't expect that, it's probably hard for us to ever receive it because we're not aware. And we don't come to this meeting with a sense of, of holy trembling. Now we're going we're gonna to meet with God today in a way that's just not like me driving down the highway singing my favorite song. We're going to be together meeting with God. And, and what if... What if the church and the people of God misplace the presence of God in their generation, in their midst? When we read this passage, Exodus, turn to Exodus and look at a passage here with you real quick again. Exodus 33. Moses is encountering God. And Moses highlights something that matters to him and it needs to matter to us. Exodus 33, verse 15. Moses speaking, it says, he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? So that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. Now, listen, <clears throat> at this point, Moses could have said, God, uh, we got your stone tablets. We got your commands. You wrote this stuff down. The very finger of God drafted this for us. That's how people will know who we are. We're the people of God. No, he had that. But he said, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, we lose our distinction. We lose who we are. See, it's the presence of God that defines being the people of God. Turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verse 11. David prays this prayer in a moment of deep conviction and awareness of his own sin. Remember, sin in the presence of God is like matter and antimatter. You know, if you're from the Star Trek days. It, it, they don't get along. There's no mixing. There's an oil and, and, and water thing happening here. You can't get these two together. Wherever there is sin, the presence of God is affected. And wherever the presence of God is, the presence of sin is affected. So those things are always related. Psalm 51, verse 11. David says, Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. I hope we all knew that the Holy Spirit's not just in the New Testament. He's in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, the presence of God is the Holy Spirit. Old Testament and New. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. In the midst of all that David had gone through in his sin, the concern for David was the same concern for Moses. Oh God, don't take your presence from me. Well, should somebody have just come along and said, David, lighten up. God's omnipresent, man. You, you can't get away from the presence of God. He's everywhere. No, David knew something of the presence of God. David knew something of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit 
in his life. That's what he didn't want to lose. God, don't, don't take that from me. There's no discussion here <clears throat> from Moses' viewpoint that, that he would stop being the people of God. There's no discussion here from David that he would stop belonging to God. God had made covenant with Israel and David was a part of Israel. God had made covenant with David personally. So there's a covenant here, but yet what David is concerned about losing is this, this active presence of God in his life. You know, we, we live, <clears throat> used to wrestle with this verse theologically. We live in the New Testament. We live now where the, the Holy Spirit has come to reside in us. And so we kind of wrestle perhaps with the idea, well, you know, poor David, that can't happen to us. You know, David could lose the Holy Spirit. See, I can't lose the Holy Spirit. Well, I disagree. Because I don't think what David's talking about here is, is, is being out of any relation to God. I think what, what he's concerned with is when sin pervades the people of God, the manifest presence of God becomes foreign to them. And what David was concerned about is, I'm going to lose that. God, I have sinned against you. Do you remember the sin of Achan we talked about a few weeks ago? Where God told them, you know, Joshua, get up off your face. The reason why you're failing, and failure is, a, is a, a symptom of the presence of God, is gone. The reason why you're failing, you can't defeat your enemies, is because there's sin in the camp. Get up and deal with it, for I will not be present with you anymore. But wait, they were the people of God. They weren't out of covenant. It's just the favor and the presence and the dwelling of the Spirit of God in that way was going to be forfeited. And David was concerned about that as well. And I think when you read the New Testament, you find words like the grieving of the Holy Spirit, the quenching of the Spirit. Does that mean the Spirit is gone from me? No. If I'm born again of the Spirit of God, it's the Spirit of God that sustains the life of God in me. But it can mean, and some of you will have experienced this in your own walk, it can mean that you experiencing the manifesting of the presence of God can become a foreign thing to you. And some of you have walked with God long enough to know what that's like. You've walked with God in seasons where the nearness of God was real, it was rich, God was using you, there was power, there was, there was vision in your heart, there was direction, you were motivated and inspired, and then there's been other seasons where it's like the heavens were like brass. And you felt like you haven't heard a word from God in forever. You don't, you, where is God? You know, what is, what's happened there? Is the Spirit of God gone? No not gone but you're not experiencing him either so this is the way the bible depicts the presence of god that variable of the presence of god it's not always constant well i know i'm saved that's all i know i know i'm saved well you can be saved and not have a clue as to what the presence of god is like in your life and that's a concern that was moses concern it was david's concern turn to isaiah 64 when god's presence comes there is a manifestation of, of hope and of real impact when the presence of God touches our lives. And it's not, I, I, I don't, when I get to the end of the message here, I want to make sure that we don't create symptoms of the presence of God. What we really have is the presence of God. So I want to be careful what we're hearing today. Because when you, when you read this passage, you'll notice in how Isaiah is prophesying this prayer to God, 
that there is a this sense of he expects that if the presence of God were here, if it were here, there'd be real impact. There would be an effect on every one of us. Listen to what he says. Isaiah 64, verse 1. He prays to God and he says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. See, Isaiah is referencing a reality that he's not seeing now. I'm not seeing it now, God. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and you would come down. Oh, that your presence would return in the days that you did awesome things. And people recognized it. And they stood in awe because your presence had been here. See, this is not a theoretical effect. It's a real effect. Oh, that you'd rend the heavens and come down and you would impact us. You know, the way in which fire impacts brushwood. And then when that brushwood begins to catch fire underneath a pot of water, the water is affected and begins to boil. See, it's interesting phrases that Isaiah uses here, isn't it? This is not a God of theory. This is a God of reality. God, when you show up, stuff really happens. Just like when you put fire to wood, something happens to that wood. And when that wood begins to burn, something in its surroundings begins to be affected. You know, isn't that a great picture? God, come down, make us like kindling, so that when your Spirit touches our lives with fire, because we're supposed to be baptized with fire, we get set ablaze and we begin to make the world boil. Because of the presence of your spirit in our midst. That's a great picture of what the church is supposed to be. Not in theory, but in reality. When the spirit of God shows up, there's reality. A question. Does today's Christianity sound concerned and prayerful and animated over this issue of the presence of God? And when you listen to what what the church is about, what Christianity is being publicized about. What, what, are we, what are we worried about? What are we passionate about? What are we calling for? There's a lot out there about people being passionate about self-improvement, how to, how to improve your life, how to make your life all that it possibly could be. And churches devote teaching after teaching and books and time, conferences to that subject. Listen, if you're going to call a conference and ask people to come from all over the place, it must be that you have something that you think is really important for them to hear. If you're going to publish a book, it must be because you think that's critical for people to get it in their hands. But churches today are concerned about church programming options. You know, what do we need to have and be as a church? Behind the strategic doors of churches, what's being thought about? And not just behind the doors of the churches, but, but, but the people on the other side of the, the doors of the churches who are visiting. What are you looking for? Well, you know, tell me, tell me about the, the children's ministry. I mean, you got children's ministry? You know, what's that like? What's going on there? You know, tell me about the youth group. 
You know, I mean, we want to be, you know, here's my son or my daughter and, you know, and they really want to be a part of a good youth group. And, you know, we left this church over here because, you know, they didn't have a youth group that they liked. And you know how many people I hear, that's the kind of value system that's driving where they're going to be next in the body of Christ. They're looking for a program. Oh, this church doesn't have enough parking. Looking for a parking lot. Looking for convenient times. Well, you know, you, you don't have any meetings like uh, on uh, Saturday for breakfast at like 2 in the morning. That would work for me. You know, people are looking. You know, can, can you just make this thing convenient? Make it work for me this particular certain way? Now, listen, uh, this, is, this is the fault of the leaders in the body of Christ. It's, it's also the fault of those who are shopping in the body of Christ. It's almost as though we're more concerned about the appliances than we are the power of God. Let's make sure we've got all the appliances in place. I mean, we have toasters and we have ovens. We have lights. We don't have any electricity, but we have all these other things. Isn't it great? Come to our church. Microwave oven. Got it. And we woke up yesterday morning. I'd taken the day off. Had busied several days. I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to sleep in. Be great. I wake up, big breakfast. You know, take time and just you know have Gina cook up something great. And I wake up. I'm not out of the bed for just a couple of moments, and all the power in my neighborhood goes out. I'm thinking, uh, we we only had about an hour before we had to leave and be somewhere else. And I'm thinking, oh man, what? What can I eat now? I'm looking around. You know, there's a toaster, there's, a, there's oven, there's stove, there's, there's all this stuff here, but there ain't no ability to use it. You know, at this point, it doesn't matter how stocked your pantry is that I open the refrigerator up and it's, oh, you can't do anything with it. There ain't no power. And, you know, the church is suffering from this great power outage. And, but yet we're all concerned about whether churches will have the right programs in place and activities for the little ones and this and that and this and that. Is, is there power in the place? Is the presence of God there? That's more important. Moses wasn't concerned about the appliances. He said, God, if your presence isn't here with us, it's not even good enough I've got your commands and I have a covenant with you, God. He wasn't even talking about parking lots, was he? See, there's, there's too much emphasis in the wrong place. And the church... You don't, you don't find the church panicking over the presence of God. We, we can have it or we cannot have it. You know, we show up week after week after week. Whatever groups, in your own prayer time. When's the last time you encountered God? When's the last time you could put your finger on the presence of God affected me, visited with me, did something in my life that I know God was there in that moment? See, we're okay with that. We ought to be panicking body of Christ ought to be in a panic over this. Oh God, don't take your presence from us. Do anything else but that. Don't take your presence from us. Ought to be the concern. Matthew Henry, speaking of Moses in that passage, he says, he expresses the great value he had for the presence of God. When God said, my presence shall go with thee, he caught at that word as that which he could not live and move without. If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. He speaks as one that dreaded the thought of going forward without God's presence. 
knowing, listen, knowing that their marches could not be safe, nor their encampments easy, if they had not God with them. He knew that. Now, my question for, for too many in the body of Christ would be, are we marching anywhere? Are there any encampments? Are we posturing our lives so that we have to fight battles and deal with issues and overcome, face sin head on, fight it to the death, advance the kingdom of God into people's lives who don't want it, who resisted, who've been deceived, face the enemy on the battleground. See, when the body of Christ has to do that, then the presence of God becomes critical, doesn't it? But if we're not going to do those things, we don't necessarily need the presence of God. Better lie down and die here in the wilderness than go forward to Canaan without God's presence. Note, this is, this is a thought to ponder for weeks ahead. Note, those who know how to value God's favors are best prepared to receive them. Those who know the value of God's presence are best prepared to receive God's presence. When that's not valuable to us, we may walk past the presence of God on a daily, regular basis because we don't see the value of it. Observe how earnest Moses is in this matter. He begs as one that would take no denial. See, are we aware of the critical need of the presence of God in our lives? That's really most important before we even get too far into the whole subject. Presence is that dynamic word. It belongs in a list of of dynamic words. It has variation to it. It has variable to it. It's not always the same. Sometimes there's reasons why it's not that way, and we need to be aware of it. It belongs in a list of words that has intangibles to them as well, like anointing. (laughs) To the anointing of God. That's not a constant. That's a word with variation in it. Filling with the Spirit. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit came upon, fell upon, rushed upon. All those terminologies, that's variation. Didn't always look the same. Wasn't always there. Sometimes it was, sometimes it was not. Right? You can live Christianity without being filled with the Spirit. You can be a Christian and not be filled with the Spirit. See, there's a variable in that. Now, you can't be a Christian and not have the Spirit. That's a constant. You have to be born again of the Spirit. You can't be saved without the Spirit of God. But to be filled with the Spirit, to be baptized in the Spirit, to have the Spirit on you, to be anointed by the Spirit, that's a, that's a variable. Don't assume that, well, I'm saved, that's a constant. No, it is not. And we make a big mistake when we think it is. Because we stop looking for it to become anything different than it is right now. See, we're told, I'm saved, I'm justified, I don't, but I don't always feel saved. But yeah, you know, you, it's okay if you don't always feel saved because, you know, you are saved and by faith we're saved. Well, you should treat that topic that way because it's a constant. I don't feel filled with, fill with the Holy Spirit. I don't sense the presence of God. I don't feel the anointing of God on my life. Well, don't get talked into it's there whether you feel it or not. Because it's a variable, and it could very well not be there. And you'd want to know that, biblically, so you could address it. Look at these passages. Turn to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers 11. I want to 
move us back a little bit here. I, I, I want to I use something as an umbrella. Can I just do this? Can I theologically do this and you'll let me do this? I want to make the presence of God this umbrella. And underneath that umbrella, I want to I put these words like the anointing, filling with the Spirit, baptism in the Spirit, the Spirit fell upon, came upon. I want to put those words under the presence of God. Because quite honestly, I think when someone is filled with the Spirit, that dynamic that occurs of being filled with the Spirit is simply the manifestation of the presence of God in an individual. That's, that's what you're experiencing. The presence of God is being manifest in you as an individual. And that can happen corporately. God can fill this place, can He? In the New Testament and Old Testament, both show us that. God can fill you. And so in either one of those places, you're going to have the presence of God. So underneath the presence of God, you know, we have that, that presence of God dynamic all the way from Genesis all the way to Revelation. The presence of God, the uniqueness of it, what it is. But I, I want to get us out of this uh, poorly informed mindset that is in the church world today. Like the Holy Spirit showed up at Pentecost. Um, he did, but he was there long before that. He was doing things long before that. Pentecost is another example of the presence of God showing up. He's all throughout the Bible showing up and his presence being manifest. Uh, sometimes uh, we grow up in a modern setting. We're too informed by modern media and modern information and not enough biblically. So we have hurdles to overcome when it comes to speaking of Pentecostal dynamics. Because you know, we've heard of things, you know, in those Pentecostal churches that maybe we thought were, you know, sounded weird and we perhaps wouldn't want that in our own lives. But those dynamics didn't get invented in the last century. The dynamics of the presence of God have existed throughout God's dealing with man. When God shows up and the Spirit of God shows up and manifests Himself in your life, there's a reality there that's unusual. And it's all throughout the Bible. Look here at Numbers 11, verse 16. And the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting. Right? This is a location that's different than other places, that God does something there that he doesn't do elsewhere. And let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. Right? This is not the omnipresence of God. This is, this is the active, manifest presence of God. And I will take, listen to this peculiarity, I will take some of the Spirit that is on you, and I will put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Now, that's an interesting dynamic. Up to this point, it looks as though the Spirit of God has been placed upon Moses in a way that no one else is experiencing it. That's a variable, isn't it? You can't all say, well, we're all part of Israel. Moses, who do you think you are? You know, we're all Israel. You got the Spirit, I got the Spirit. I mean, because we're all Israel. There's a constant here. No, there's not. And then God says, I'm going to take a portion of what I put on you, and I'm going to put it on these guys. Well, now you've got 70 others. But they got something that everybody else ain't got now. They're going to experience the presence of God in a way that's different than what others are experiencing. And so you have this variety there. And what's interesting here, this is a good note to... Anyone who leads, God sees it necessary that for his people to be well cared for and led, it takes his presence in a person to do it. 
Moses, this is killing you. Don't ask, don't just go out and get volunteers. You bring these people to me and I will put my presence on them so that they will be able to do what I'm asking you to do. Most didn't just come out and say, look, can I get some volunteers? How many? Okay. Thank you guys. Listen, here's what you need to do. Can I get a quick huddle here? Here's what you need to do. We're going to care for people this way. We're going to lead them this way. You know, help these people out when they face these situations. All right. If you've got any problems, just let me know. All right. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. That's not the meeting he had. God called the meeting. God said when they come, I'm going to put something supernatural on them. I'm going to put the presence of me on them in a way that's going to make them adequate to be able to do this. I wonder how many people are leading the body of Christ without the presence of God. I wonder if that's why the church is the way it is in so many places. Just natural leadership rather than supernatural Look at Numbers 11, verse 25. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not continue doing it. That's an interesting little statement right there. Let's not deny either one of them. Both of these are very helpful to put us in the realm of pursuing God appropriately. When the, when the Spirit of God comes in this manner and falls upon them, there is an effect, right? We're not talking theory here. We're talking rend the heavens and come down and touch us the way fire touches wood. The wood is going to get lit up. It's not going to be wood walking away going, you know, you know, by faith, you're smoking right now, baby. By faith, you know, I just see the flames leaping off of you. You know, when the flame touches that piece of wood, that piece of wood changes. It begins to be burned up and its heat affects things around it. See, and, and, and somehow we've created this idea that, well, when the presence of God touches your life, well, you know, just walk away from that. Just, just believe in that it happened. No, no. How about pursue it until you see smoke? Because where there's smoke... There's fire. That was a deep thought, wasn't it? And if there ain't no smoke, you need to be asking yourself, God, I'm not lit. I'm not lit up. Doesn't mean I'm not saved. Doesn't mean I'm not in the covenant of God. Doesn't mean God doesn't care about me. No, don't go there. But it does raise a question. So how is the presence of God being manifest in your life in a way that's recognizable and effective? These guys prophesied. But notice this. They did not continue doing it. And this is not, this is not a, 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 a command that when you experience God, start it, stop it, leave it alone. But it is informing. And, and I think it may have taken me years to come to this place to handle Scripture correctly, to, to not turn uh, moments of God's visitation into something that ought to be breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And some of you read the Bible and you say, you see what happened there? Every time, every time you pray and ask me to fill the Spirit, that, that, that ought to happen every time. Every time. Every minute. Just let's do it every five minutes. Every five minutes. We're just going to pray for you. And every five minutes you're going to prophesy. Every five minutes. And we create that idea because we do see it in Scripture. We see people being prayed for and the hands are being laid on them and the presence of God comes. And there's shaking and trembling. And That doesn't mean that was a daily occurrence, though. It may have happened here. It may not have happened for days or months or weeks. Maybe even years. And then it happened again. 
And what I would want us to be concerned about is, does it happen? Has it happened to you? Do you know the presence of God that way? Or is it just theory that's never happened in my own life? Look in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 10. Verse 5. Another situation says, And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place. This is speaking to Saul. With harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you. Right, The presence of God is going to find you in that moment, Saul. And you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. See, the presence of God was different in that moment for Saul than it was in other places, in other moments, in other times. He had an encounter with the presence of God in that moment. Now, later on, 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, we find this exchange interesting. It says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, speaking of David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Listen, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. You see the variation here? You see, for Saul at one point, God had anointed Saul. God had said, the spirit of God will come upon you. You're going to be changed in a different man. You're going to prophesy. And later on, God withdraws his presence from Saul. And God anoints David and puts his spirit on David. See, the presence of God was not always the same in David's life, and it was not always the same in Saul's life either. Now, this, this falling of the Spirit, this dynamic, this is, this, see, I want us to see that in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God fell on people. And the presence of God touched their lives, animated them, motivated them, gave them something. An intangible came into their lives. And, and it's exactly... Jesus spoke of in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will receive power when the Spirit of God falls on you. Power that you don't have right now. It's going to change. There's going to be a variable here. What you know about the presence of God now, it's going to be different then because the Spirit's going to come in a different way and fall on you. Now, one of the things I want to highlight here is in all these examples, whether it's Moses, it's David, servants in the Old Testament, New Testament, when this presence dynamic occurred, the fruit of that was was fresh boldness and zeal. It It was new enthusiasm for the things of God. It was extraordinary faith to proceed in the face of opponents and difficulty. It was unusual wisdom that came when challenging situations were occurring in people's lives. Now, the way to answer the question of my need for the presence of God is to simply examine, do I have any of that in my life? 
Do I face situations where I, I need unusual wisdom in my life to walk out the purpose of God? I need power to overcome some issue in my life. Been, been battling with sin on the inside that you can't seem to get on top of and overcome that thing? Well, you know, in the Old Testament, they face those times when you're going to face an enemy that seems too great for you to conquer. What do I need in that moment? Oh, God, if your presence doesn't go with me, don't send me up from here. Why? Because I know that in the day of battle, I can't win. I can't win without your presence being manifest in my life. Now, you, if you have situations like that, then it's the presence of God that I need to run hard after. You face a situation, I don't know what to do. This situation's falling apart around me. I don't know how to handle it. What are you running toward in that moment? Are you running toward the presence of God? Because I need God to bring His presence near to me so that I can proceed to overcome this issue, to deal with this situation, to have wisdom, to have the power of God, to be able to minister a certain way in my life. See, in those situations, I, I don't just need God's ideas. I need God to show up. And there's a, there's a difference. See, Moses had God's ideas, didn't he? He met at Mount Sinai. God wrote it down. God spoke a covenant. It's many pages long. He could leave from there, go into the promised land. He has God's ideas. God has given him commands. Don't do this. Don't do that. You want to live before me right? Treat people this way. Handle situations this way. Don't touch that. Don't go there. Do this on a regular basis. Come to me. Bring worship. Bring offerings and gifts. And if you do these things, then I will, I will bless you. I promise you that I'll do this and I'll work it out. If you face an enemy who's against you and they do you harm, they're going to be against me and I'm going to step in. But God gives them all those promises and all those commands. Moses has all that when he says, God, but if your presence doesn't go with us. Now, Moses doesn't make this mistake, which I hear too many preachers do. Moses doesn't turn around and say, God, your commands are nothing. God, your promises, they're nothing, God. We need your presence. You know, that, that's, where, that's where the charismatic church has really gotten kooky. Because, because what we've done is, is we've said, we love this dimension, but not this dimension. It was the same God who wrote the tablets down, who said, you better know this. It matters. But it's the same God who said, without my presence, that's not sufficient. Maybe some of you think this is blasphemy. Without the Spirit of God, this book is not sufficient. You say, oh, we love the Word of God. We build on the Word of God. We believe the doctrines of the Word of God. You know, that sounds great. But if you don't have the presence of God, you've got a book that's a stranger to you. You think you know it, but you don't. Because only the presence of God can unlock the mystery of God that's in this book. And there's a, not a one of us here that's smart enough to figure that out. Can you imagine? Jesus lives with his disciples for three years. He teaches them and then he tells them, go into all the world, baptize them, and teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. So for three years, they've been learning. And when it comes time for them to launch their ministry, Jesus says, whoa, whoa, time out, guys. Appreciate your enthusiasm. Wait. Wait in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. 
What is he talking about there? He's talking about the same thing that happened in the Old Testament. He's talking about the coming of the Spirit. He's talking about the presence of God. You guys, you've learned a lot. You've observed a lot. You probably could mechanically respond to people. People who argue the law, you could respond back to them. You know how to handle the Pharisees. You've got all the apologetics down. But what you need in addition to that is you need the presence of the Spirit of God. Wait in Jerusalem. You're not ready to go yet. Turn with me real quickly to Acts chapter 19. And look at this last example here. Acts chapter 19. Listen to this. Verse 1. It says, Then it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. See, there, there is an awareness issue here. Right, I, can you hear me? The reason why I'm stopping on this point today? Are you aware of the need for the presence of God? These guys weren't aware. Didn't mean they weren't trying to live the life. They just were living it without being plugged in. It's kind of like, Mr. Toaster, do you know why that cord is growing out of your behind? Well, I knew it was there. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was just decoration. Do you know what that electrical outlet is over there? Electrical outlet? I've never even heard of an electrical outlet. Oh, I bet you're having a great time being a toaster then, aren't you? And that's what's going on right here. Did you receive the Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said into John's baptism. And Paul said, John, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Now, my, my concern in observing that passage, and this passage has, has a few challenges in it. You know, these guys are called disciples. Does that mean they're disciples of Christ? You, know, you can make an argument. The Bible doesn't use that term differently. Uh, so it would appear they could have been disciples of Christ, just with some very poor understanding about how to live the Christian life, very unaware of a number of things. But regardless of, of what our certainty is in those areas, what you have here is people that were really uh, living in the baptism of John rather than in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what you have right here. People living in the baptism of John. What was the baptism of John? Well, it says right here, the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance. It was turned from this and turned turn to God. Well, that's not the whole story. Now listen, this is not a criticism of the baptism of John, and this is not a criticism of the baptism of John. John was appointed by God to do a specific thing. He did what he was supposed to do. These people didn't take it far enough. It wasn't John's fault. John's not to be blamed here. 
But there is today this, this realm of living in the baptism of John where we become aware that there is a God, we become aware that we have sinned and we're wrong, and we're going to turn to God now and, and doggone it, we're going to do our best to live from here, for Him from now on. You know how many Christians? I just described a whole bunch of Christianity. That's the baptism of John. You understand, you don't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to do any of that. You've come aware, my life has sin in it, you become aware that there is a God, I should turn to Him. And from now on, I'll do my best to serve God. That's a lot of Christians right there. That's a lot of toasters who didn't learn that you need to get plugged in. You need the presence of God. You need to hear the panic in the voice of Moses. You need to hear the dread in David's cry. That what's critical is the presence of God in your midst. Remember Acts chapter 3. It says, repent and turn again to the Lord. So that... Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. See, the problem with John's baptism is that it it didn't take it all the way. It simply was a repent, turn to God. Well, why repent and turn to God? So that the presence of God may come into your life. It's like it took one of the steps, but you didn't take the other one. Repentance in our lives is not the end of the street. Too many Christians have an altar call come up. I'm doing the wrong thing. Oh, God, I know I've been wrong. I can't believe I've been doing this. I'm so sorry. Oh, God, I'm never going to do this again. And we confess it. And that's part of the equation. We did. We confessed. We agreed with God. But God says, now that you've turned to me now, now that sin has been dealt with in the camp, now my presence can come again into your life. And times of refreshing and empowerment and zeal and new determination can now come and affect who you're going to be from now on. You see, I mean, I wonder how many of us, I ask you to raise your hand, how many of us have left out step two? We repent of sin and repent of sin and repent of sin and repent of sin. But we don't pursue the presence of God. See, sin is getting in the way of the presence of God. When you get it out of the way, now it's time to receive the presence of God. That's what He's wanted all along. That's what He wants for us now. Let me close with this thought. Eric, you can come back up. I, I, don't, I don't want us to fall prey to what I think is happening in Christianity. It's, it's, sometimes we can look in the Bible... And we actually try to teach the effect of something to people. Teach you to be affected this way. Uh, rather than teaching the encounter that produces the effect. You know, if, if you visited during the end of the 20th century, uh, the cities of Hiroshima or Nagasaki in Japan, and you saw the people, and you saw the illness, and you saw the effect, and, and the draining influence of uh, nuclear fallout in a city. See, none of those people had to be taught to behave that way. You know, slump over, move slowly, don't eat so much, you're getting too fat. Now, no one had to be taught that. 
You see, because there was an atomic explosion in those cities. And when the radiation poured out of that bomb and went across that area, it produced its own effect. And in a very real way, those people couldn't help but respond the way they did. And when you come to to us today, if there is a sense in us of a lack of boldness, a lack of awe, a lack of affectionate worship of God, a lack of amazement at grace. Now, we can, we can try and, and tell you you ought to be that. God is awesome. You ought to think He's awesome too. We try to create this boldness in witness. We almost try to shame people into it. Don't you care? Don't you care that people are going to hell? While we've been here today, X number of people have died and they've gone to hell. Don't you care? Shame you into that. When I read the Bible, I find you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You see the difference? This is not shame on you. You received grace from God and shame on you that you don't go share it with others. What happened to the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost? When the Spirit of God fell on that man, he went from a guy who said, I don't know him. I don't know him. He was all scared and timid. When the Spirit of God gets on that man, he receives power and boldness and he stands in the midst of a group of people that he knows could kill him at the end of the meeting. And he says, let me tell you about the Christ that you crucified. And he preaches the most awesome message and 3,000 people get saved. Remember Acts chapter 4, verse 39. There's a prayer meeting going on. There's threats against the people of God. They They could lose their life. They've been put in jail. Christianity is just taking off, but it's this meeting, it's wave of opposition. And they have a prayer meeting. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God came in that meeting. And the place shook. And they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. Listen, now, you know, we can stand as preachers and teachers and point out things in the Bible, and we should. But to stand and say, you ought to be bold, you ought to be bold, you ought to be bold, is is almost like trying to get you to act like a a nuclear bomb went off when it didn't. Act like you have radiation poisoning. If nothing else, just act like it. Well, you know, if the bomb will go off, you won't have to act like it. You'll react to what just happened. See, this is true all across the board. Whether it's, it's aspects of worship... How we relate to God? Why not? I just, I just, I just, you know, I just, I'm just not that all, all that expressive. Well, I guarantee you, you get in the presence of God, your expression will change. Well, I'm just a laid back person. Well, you might be a laying down person. See, the, the the challenge for us here is is have we experienced the presence of God? Let's not let's not imitate those who have. Let's pursue the presence of God. Let's experience God. And when we do, these things are going to change. Now, how sad it is today that the body of Christ is treated, these meetings that we have, like, you know, that we want them to be convenient. We want, you know, we want multiple service times, even if we've got a building that holds ten, pe- ten times the number of people that we have. But we offer multiple service times. Why? Because we want it to be convenient for people. Listen. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Why was I glad? Because I encountered God there. 
Listen, when you encounter God, you're going to move things out of the way in your life to get back to that place to encounter Him over and over and over again. But if you come to these places and these meetings and your times of personal prayer with God and there's no encounter with God, you're going to have a hard time wanting to do it again. Let's fix what's really broke. What's really broke is I need to pursue the presence of God. It's critical in the Scripture. It's critical for us today. I want you to... I'm going to close with this story from Sarah Edwards' life. This is the wife of Jonathan Edwards. And she tells this story it's in, in one of his memoirs of her encountering God. And I want you to listen because you know what I, I don't want to limit our view of the presence of God to we lay hands on you, you speak in tongues. We lay hands on you, you prophesy. Now, I hope that you are eager for that. Because we just cited too many examples of that's what happens in the Bible. But when the presence of God touches your life, it pours into categories of your life all over. Now, now listen, listen to this woman's story. On Tuesday night, January 19, 1742, observes Mrs. Edwards, I felt very uneasy and unhappy at my being so low in grace. I thought I very much needed help from God and found a spirit of earnestness to seek help of Him, that I might have more holiness. When I had for a time been earnestly wrestling with God for it, I felt within myself great quietness of spirit, unusual submission to God, and willingness to wait upon Him with respect to the time and manner in which He should help me, and wish that He should take His own time and His own way to do it. I felt a strong desire to be alone with God, to go to Him, without having anyone to interrupt the silent and soft communion which I earnestly desired between God and my own soul, and accordingly withdrew to my chamber. Under a delightful sense of the immediate presence and love of God, these words seemed to come over and over in my mind. My God... My all, my God, my all. The presence of God was so near and so real that I seemed scarcely conscious of anything else. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ seemed as distinct persons, both manifesting their inconceivable loveliness and mildness and gentleness and their great and immutable love to me. I seemed to be taken under the care and charge of my God and Savior in an inexpressibly endearing manner. And Christ appeared to me as a mighty Savior under the character of the Lion of the tribe of Judah, taking my heart with all its corruptions under His care and putting it at His feet. In all things which concern me, I felt myself safe under the protection of the Father and the Savior who appeared with supreme kindness to keep a record of everything that I did and of everything that was done to me purely for my good. Listen. Here's the fallout. Here's the radiological effect of the presence of God. The peace and happiness which I hereupon felt was altogether inexpressible. It seemed to be that that which came from heaven to be eternal and unchangeable. I seemed to be lifted above earth and hell out of the reach of everything here below so that I could look on all the rage and enmity of men or devils with a kind of holy indifference and an undisturbed tranquility. At the same time, 
I felt compassion and love for all mankind and a deep abasement of soul under a sense of my own unworthiness. I thought of the ministers who were in the house and felt willing to undergo any labor and self-denial if they would but come to the help of the Lord. I also felt myself more perfectly weaned from all things here below than ever before. The whole world, with all its enjoyments and all its troubles, seemed to be nothing. My God was my all, my only portion. No possible suffering appeared to be worth regarding. All persecutions and torments were a mere nothing. And what an impact occurred to this woman who began with a state of unhappiness with the grace she was experiencing and went and pursued God. And in pursuing God, she experienced the presence of God. Oh my goodness, how might, how might our counseling change? If the presence of God was actually a reality that set things on fire when it touched us? What, what, what impact would this have on our emotional well-being? This is a woman who emotionally was not well off. But when she got with God, she encountered something in God. There was assurance, there was safety, there was care. There was forgiveness, there was embrace, there was love. And everything got put back together right inside of her heart. And she left from this place with fresh energy. This is a person who could perhaps been morose or depressed. Her demeanor could have been down. She moped around the house. But she met with God and something got right on the inside of her because God made it right. How many times do we run to some person to tell us words that we need to hear from the voice of God Himself? You know how many people have walked into my office and walked through a counseling meeting and walked out like like that didn't do anything. So I understand why Moses said, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, counseling appointments won't do it. We need the presence of God. Let's stand up together. Lord, help us right now in this holy gathering, this place of your dwelling, where living stones have come together so that your presence may dwell here. But we thank you that when we look in your word, we have reason this morning to believe that the presence you offer us is greater than simply the sustaining presence that caused the earth to orbit. Lord, it's different than those who are being opposed by Your presence on this planet, even at this moment. It is Your presence to bless and to care for our lives. It's Your presence to give to us strength and revelation and ability and change and motivation and inspiration. Lord, it's Your presence that lifts our eyes so that what seemed so big to us and so overwhelming with no answer and no way out, becomes strangely dim in the light of Your glory being revealed in our midst. God, what we know we need this morning is not just words. It's not just argument. It's not just clever ideas. God, we need Your presence here with us right now in our midst. God, we need You to roam throughout this building. 
blowing upon our hearts, revealing when was the last time you tasted the presence of God? When was the last time you were with me? When was the last time you sensed I was touching your life? I was breathing upon the the coals of your heart that were growing cold. You sensed me revitalizing your attention toward me. I want us this morning, I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for the presence of God to be renewed in lives today. So I want to ask anybody who just wants a sense of, God, renew your presence in my life. I just want to ask you to step out from where you are. Put some feet to where you're at. Say, God, I, I want to pursue your presence. God, I've been pursuing all kinds of things. I need all kinds of things fixed in my life. I, I've been worried about this, worried about that. God, I've been walking with you for years. And, and as I listen today, I don't find myself in these stories. I don't find occasions where your presence comes. And I experience you. And there's a freshness about my walk. There's a new zeal. There's a a lifting of a burden. God, I don't know when the last time I felt like a burden got off of me. I can't remember it, Lord. I've been walking under the weight of anxiety and worry and fear and natural mindedness. And how can I do this next? I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. The remedy isn't in some man-made strategy. Not in figuring out simply how to refinance your home and pay off some debt. How to read the latest book on a parenting technique to help your wayward teenager respond differently. Those things are fine. Baptism of John is fine. It's a starting point. What we need is the presence of God. We need the power and the presence of God. We need to find a place like Sarah Edwards where we sense in our heart a longing for God and a desire to pursue God and for God to summon us to Himself, to call us to make room in our hearts to embrace Him again and to to refuse to take no for an answer. God, this morning, help us. Help us to be like Moses. God, we don't want to go up from this place unless we're assured Your presence will go with us. You will meet us. You will empower us. You will, you will deal with our adversaries in supernatural ways. You will surround them with chariots of fire. You will work in ways that if you didn't show up that way, we would fail. Lord, we're afraid to go up on our own. Oh God, give us a fresh sense of being terrified of the idea that we're just trying to live good, moral, Christian lives. We need a, a Spirit-baptized life, God. We need a Spirit-infused life. We need Your presence to go with us. God, march with us. Move with us. Encamp with us, Lord. Face the walls of the enemy with us, God. Give us that supernatural thing that when we shout, You show up and walls come down, Lord. That's Your presence in our lives. Freedom comes, Lord. Deliverance comes. Issues in our life that have that have circled us in and held us in bondage. The chains break because of the power of Your presence. Where the anointing of Your presence is, God, there's a breaking of the yoke of oppression. We need Your presence. God, in our midst, we need Your presence. Oh, Jesus, I surrender all. Oh.